Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading. Therefore, get your minds ready for action, being self-disciplined, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. We need to take a moment to establish our base, which is Jesus Christ. Make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and humble before the authority of his truth. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you this evening that you are faithful, that you are the God of circumstances, and no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we know that the burden rests on your shoulders, not on ours. The only burden we have is to trust you for every provision, for uh, every deliverance. And Father, tonight we thank you that you have delivered us to this room um, to assemble together and to praise your name and to uh, hear the teaching of your word. Now, Father, tonight we will... We will be studying about your word and how to study your word. And uh, I'm very thankful for this, uh, this class and this series and the students that have uh, made it a priority to be here. And Father, I ask that you would uh, help us to set aside distractions within and without, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and uh, give us humble hearts to understand what your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. If you would turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, please. We'll look at just a couple of verses right at the end of the chapter, just for a little bit of context, but really the admonition, the encouragement is going to come in the last verse of the chapter in in, uh, verse 14. The purpose of this study was to equip believers of any age in these uh, basic foundational studies in order to live a a stable uh, Christian life and in order to prepare to teach others as well. Now, verse 12 speaks to that because of the time, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, uh, you need someone else to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, there are a lot of issues going on within this chapter and within this book, But the principle that I'm getting at is that in verse 14, we see solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, the focus of this beginning of this study was on the Bible. Remember that last week we looked at the question, why do I choose to believe the Bible? Because any thing that we're going to study in this nine-week course, and indeed any answer um, that we would give to give an account for the hope that is in us is going to come from the Bible. But the problem is the first question that's going to be asked, the first to the second question that's going to be asked, anytime we give a response as to what we believe, is why do you choose to believe that, and then why do you choose to believe the Bible? So the foundation first needs to be laid that the scriptures are trustworthy that the scriptures are the most reliable collection of historical documents in the history of the world. God has made this so. We uh, spent the hour last week uh, studying inspiration, revelation, canonization, uh, all of these things to help us understand 
the difference between what the world says is reliable and what, what we know to be reliable. We uh, talked briefly about the number of manuscripts of the Greek New Testament in comparison to anything else in history, any other document in history. There is no document that stands up to the amount of uh, validation that we have for the New Testament. The Old Testament has a validation of its own, a different type of validation. We talked about these things last week. So we're coming tonight to study the science and art of hermeneutics so that each one of us is prepared to study the Bible for ourselves. Because we are not established, we are not to be established biblically just in a relationship with a pastor that Jesus Christ has set over us to watch over our souls. We are called to be established in a relationship with the Word. And when I say the Word, I mean both living and written. We talked about that last week as well. Jesus Christ is the living and the written Word. The Bibles that you have in your hands are also 100% human and 100% divine. And they can be trusted as the authority for faith and practice. So as we look at this verse, verse 14, we see constant practice. I can switch my Bible over to the NASB to make it easier for everybody. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good from evil. Now, where does that practice come from? What is the practice in? How would you know good from evil? You've got to know the standard first to compare it. Remember last week we talked about the Bible and the, being the canon, being the measuring stick, the thing that we line everything else up against to see if it's true. Okay? Now, this was true for the New Testament documents as well that we line those documents up against the canon of the Old Testament and determine, are these true or are they to be rejected? Okay? And this, is, this was the reason, one of the reasons why we saw last week that some books were rejected because they did not line up with a canon that had been established by God already. But through practice, they have their senses trained to discern good from evil. That practice is the constant abiding in the word that we might know the difference between good and evil. You may have heard it said that the CIA does not uh, train their uh, agents to spot counterfeit money by showing them the false money, but showing them the true money. When they get to know detail by detail what is truth, they're able to spot the falsehood. This is so with our study of the scriptures. And so tonight as we embark on the study of hermeneutics, we need to have these things in mind, that this is the equipping for each one of us. This is not an equipping for only pastors or teachers or evangelists. This is an equipping for every believer, because every believer is called to study the scriptures, to know the person of Jesus Christ through the word. Because the first class that we, we uh, uh, did as an introduction we were in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And the established idea there is that our goal in the Christian life is not to learn doctrine. It's not to collect facts. It's not to come into Bible class and fill ourselves up with information. The goal of the Christian life is to come to know the one who is from the beginning. And the way that we do that is through his word. Does everybody have the notes in front of them now? Yes? Okay. All right. 
This lesson three in bibliology, or the study of the Bible, is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science and art of biblical interpretation. It is a science because there are laws that guide it. It is an art because the laws must be skillfully applied. The term comes from the Greek verb, hermeneuo, meaning to translate, to interpret. This verb is found in John chapter 1 and verse 42, and also chapter 9 and verse 7, as well as Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 2. The nouns hermeneia, translation, interpretation, and hermeneutes, interpreter, also appear in the New Testament. At the end of this class, our goal is that everyone in this room would be a hermeneut, would be able to interpret the scriptures for themselves. It does not require a um, doctorate, does not require letters after your name to be able to read the word that God has given to every man who believes in his son and understand it. We'll find that in many cases the Bible tells us what what it means, that it interprets itself. And through these tools that we're going to learn tonight, we will be able to understand uh, these things. As examining the scriptures is the absolute and objective standard for validating Bible teaching. That should be Acts 17.11. There must therefore be an absolute and objective method for interpreting and understanding the written Bible message. A literal hermeneutic is that method as Jesus himself illustrates. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these, all these things I will give to you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now the verses we're looking at are verses 4, 7, and 10. Those are the ones we want to focus on. And the particular phrases that we want to focus on in all three of those verses are, It is written. It is written. Now, there are a couple of principles that we want to gather from this. Number one, Jesus here is declaring to us it stands written for all time. It stands written that the scriptures cannot be broken. That Jesus himself trusts the scriptures, particularly as he is quoting them. The second principle we see here is that in the midst of temptation, he is showing two things. Number one, that he is abiding in the word. And number two, that the word is his defense against the temptation. This is true of all three of these verses. He quotes the word of God in the midst of temptation from the adversary. 
The literal hermeneutic is the basis of what we're going to study tonight. A literal hermeneutic. That means the scripture says what it means and means what it says. That means we don't try to twist the scriptures to fit our theology. We're not, any of us, dispensationalists first, and that's how we interpret the Bible. And if we are, then we've got it backwards. Any theology that we claim ought to be drawn from the scriptures themselves. So if I call myself a dispensationalist, it's because my hermeneutic, my literal hermeneutic and my study of the scriptures have led me to such an understanding, and that's why I would claim such a thing. That should be the goal. We ought not to say, I'm a dispensationalist, and that's how I understand the scriptures, because that's the backward mentality. Any other theology that we might claim, it's the same thing. So we're not really dispensationalists or anything else. We ought to be calling ourselves biblicists. Our theology ought to be biblical. It is derived from the scriptures themselves. Now, this can only happen properly with a literal hermeneutic. That means God is not a God of confusion. When he tells us something in his word, he means for us to understand it. Now, he may not mean for us to understand it today, but all of these things stack on top of each other And we begin to understand uh, things in time that in the beginning we had no clue what God was was trying to say in the scriptures. Everybody get that? Everybody understand that? You've read through, you're in the Bible and you're looking at something and you're saying, I just, I don't understand what's going on here. That's okay. That's all right. Number one, that means at that point there's either an issue with your uh, spirituality versus carnality or the Lord is not desiring that that's something you, you need to learn right at this moment. I found in my own Christian walk that there were things that the Lord helped me back from until, a time as, until such a time as I was mature enough to understand them and uh, not be puffed up with pride because of such uh, information or such knowledge. I suspect it's going to be the same with many folks, that there are things that we're just, uh, we struggle with, we struggle to understand. And the faith that led us to the, to the Savior ought to be the same faith that leads us to trust in Him to reveal the truth of His Word in His time. And so as we study the Scriptures line upon line, precept upon precept, day after day, as we're taking in the Word, abiding in it, then pieces begin to fit together. This is how it works. This is, this is what Isaiah is trying to teach us for those who have been in the Word a little bit longer. This is what Isaiah is trying to, to teach, what his method was that... Uh, Uh, folks were making fun of him for, was that line upon line, precept upon precept, the patient daily study that says, Lord, teach me from your word. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 and get that principle there. Acts 17, 11. Now, for time, we'll uh, read the the verse here, because the principle's here within the verse. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, these particular people. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now, a little bit of backstory to understand. The Apostle Paul comes into town and begins to teach these uh, folks in Berea. And we're talking about the Apostle Paul here. This verse 
These verses do not tell us the Bereans just said, well, this is the Apostle Paul. We better just listen up, not even question what we're being told. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Bereans are called noble-minded for saying, you know what, we're going to check out what he's saying. What are we going to do? We're going to line up with what he's saying with the canon and make sure that what he's saying is true. Okay? We're going to line up what he's teaching with the word of God and be sure that what he's teaching is the truth. This is the principle here. The other principle is that word, daily. Daily. Do you eat solid food for the body once a week, once a month, once a year? Are you uh, only uh, partaking of solid food on Easter and Christmas? No. You need solid food for the body, the sustenance of the body every day. Your spirit is living as well and needs sustenance from the source of life day after day. That means being in the Bible each day, taking in the milk and the meat of the word, is sustaining your spirit. And just like a child, a human child, which feeding it food causes it to grow and and prosper, the word of God causes us to spiritually prosper in the same way that we take it in, we abide in it daily, and it causes our spiritual prosperity. Spiritual prosperity. Let's make sure we understand that. So the principle of examining the Scriptures on a daily basis of abiding in the Word is what is important here. Two obvious axioms of general hermeneutics. This is a basic look at at hermeneutical studies. This uh, This is just the bare bones of what you can learn about hermeneutics and how to study the scriptures. There are other studies that we'll list at the end that you can uh, look at for further reading. Actually, I've only got one there, but there are several others that I could recommend to you. The Foundations book uh, is one of them, the hermeneutics uh, studies in there. Uh, Wonderful applications in there as well. But as we look at this from a basic point of view, there are two obvious axioms of general hermeneutics. Now, an axiom, that's, that's a, maybe a word I need to take a moment to explain. An axiom is a self-evident truth. A self-evident truth. So there are two particular self-evident truths that we have listed here. The Bible communicates via human languages, therefore it must be interpreted linguistically. It communicates via languages, so it must be interpreted linguistically. Number two, the Bible communicates God's thinking, therefore it must be interpreted logically. God designed us to think, and biblical Christianity trains you to think. Now, I can't tell you the kind of blowback that I've received for such a statement, that biblical Christianity trains you to think. And of course, that blowback comes from God-hating atheists who think that Christianity is... uh, populated with folks who never question anything. They just bow before their pastor or their priest. And their pastor or their priest tells them exactly what they need to know and what they need to do, and they don't question. They just do what they're told. But biblical Christianity trains you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It trains you to search the Scriptures daily and see if these things are so. It trains you to question to evaluate, to line things up, compare things, 
and gather the truth. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2.15 where, where I'm getting that statement. God designed us to think biblically and Christi- biblical Christianity trains you to think. 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Let's read that again. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The Bible is given to us in human language. It must be interpreted linguistically. That means in the midst of that, we are presenting ourselves as workmen and we're not ashamed because we're working because we're in the Scriptures abiding daily, because we're seeing if these things are so, because we're comparing Scripture with Scripture, because we are growing in Scripture, and because through that we are growing, we are coming to know the one who is from the beginning. He says, the workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. And we have an idea here that we're not just fumbling through the Bible. We're accurately handling it. That as we study the Scriptures, we are very serious about our study. This is more serious than any college course that we could possibly take, more serious than any class in high school that may come up, any science class or math class. This is eternal life. This isn't an A or B grade in our, our math class in, in high school or in college or whatever. This is eternal life. This is the stable and successful Christian life that we're looking at, that our desire uh, is toward. Accurately handling the word of truth. The Bible is what we're talking about. That means through the scientific process of hermeneutics, we are accurately handling and understanding what, what uh, God is, is teaching us through his word. Pilate, Pontius Pilate asked a question of Jesus. In John chapter 18 and verse 38, he said, what is truth? He, never, he didn't stick around to receive the answer from the truth himself. What is truth? The very question indicates an attitude that truth cannot be known. And that is the attitude of our age. The truth is relative. That my truth is my truth. You can have your own truth. And they may not intersect any, any place but that's okay. You're allowed to have your truth even if I think it's wrong. But I shouldn't tell you it's wrong because it's just your truth. Does that sound a little confusing? I was confused for a second there. Kind of lost what I was trying to say. That's because that's nonsense. That's all nonsense. Because truth is not relative. Truth is objective. Truth is knowable. Either this is a cup or it's not. Either I'm a man, or I'm not. Ooh, now I'm getting into dangerous territory. There is an objective standard of truth for everything, and that objective standard is God himself, the author of creation. The one who made this creation is the standard of truth. 
And indeed, my favorite phrase to uh, understand this is that truth is whatever God says it is. There is an objective standard that we're lining everything everything else up against. But at some point, there's a wall that says, okay, here's the truth. And you're not going to line this up against something else to see if it's true. This is the standard and everything else is lined up against that. Okay? There are two ways that we can approach Scripture as we try to interpret it. We can approach it from an inductive or a deductive manner. Now, what's the difference? I think it's pretty easy to see which one's more simple just from the notes. An inductive study is one that gathers facts, one that determines facts. A deductive study is one that begins with premises, assumptions, and presuppositions. It begins with something you assume is already true. So let's put it this way. I will start with a theology. Let's pick on something else besides dispensationalism, just for the sake of the argument. Let's say, for the sake of the argument only, I'm a Calvinist, and that's where I'm starting. So I have presuppositions. I have um, assumptions already about the truth. So I open up my Bible and I read, and I superimpose all of those assumptions on the Scriptures. And I make them say what I want them to say in order to derive my theology back from the Scriptures. Okay? Now, we could have picked on anything. It didn't have to be Calvinism. We could be fair and pick on Arminianism, Arminianism too. Um, any theology we choose, we're going to end up with a serious problem. Because we began with assumptions and didn't let the Word of God speak for itself. We began already knowing what we perceive as truth, so why were we even in the Scriptures anyway if we already know truth? If we already have our theology down? Because we need something to back our theology up. We need something to say, well, here's what the Bible says to show us that truth. This is obviously not the way to go about any kind of study. Okay? No matter what we're studying. If I want to know, if somebody's written me a check and I want to know how much money that check is made out for, I'm not going to do it with premises, assumptions, and presuppositions. I'm not going to assume that they must have written that check for a lot of money. And it must be the amount that I've got in my head, so I'm just going to assume I'm going to superimpose my theology on that, that personal check and say they didn't write it for, for $10, they wrote it for $100. So I'm going to take it to the bank, and I'm going to tell the teller, I know it, it looks like it says 10, but what it really means is, if you use the right hermeneutic, what it really means is 100. You don't do that with anything else in your lives. You don't interpret anything else that way in your lives. Yes, ma'am? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. But see, like I said, you could do that with anything. As a dispensationalist, I could do that. 
I, I could have started by going through past, all Pastor Bob's training and going through the Plan of God Reader and um, the uh, Schaefer Systematic Theology and said, you know, that's my theology. Now let me study the Bible so I can prove that theology. You can do that with any theology. Okay? That's the problem. That's where the problem lies, is now I'm not a devotee of the Word of God. I'm a devotee of Pastor Bob, of Lewis Berry Chafer, of anybody else who has come up with this theology. Okay? So I was not particularly picking on Calvinists and saying only they do that. Okay? Lots of Christians do that. They start with their theology that they've been taught, and then they read the Word and superimpose their theology on that, on that Word. Okay. Yes, sir. Sure, limited atonement. Limited atonement. That's answering his question. That's a that's a deeper conversation. But there are plenty of Calvinistic ideas and doctrines, all five of the tulip points, um, I think can be understood that way. Yes, sir. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Say, say that last part again. Uh huh. So the Armenians love that, you know. Yeah. But they, they, they don't see that as saying, yeah, but if we endure, we shall remain with him. And then they don't read the third part, which says, or the fourth part, which says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Uh huh. So that's a, that's a passage of scripture that I think for the pre determined theology really affects mm-hmm. how you're going to understand that passage. I agree. Really messed up by people. Mm hmm. That's why this, this concept is so important, bringing this back to the literal hermeneutic, to understanding that the Bible teaches us what, it's, what it means. Um, and those are the, the uh, three concepts that we're going to look at here. What does it say? What does it mean? And what do I do with it? Those are the most important things. Because I think we can get lost in all of that theology and forget the Bible is what we're studying, not somebody, what somebody else has come up with as far as their Bible study. Okay. So the inductive method. Number one, observation. What does it say? That means we're going to ask several questions here. And many of you who have ever had any uh, background in journalism, you'll recognize these questions right away. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Because those are great questions to derive at the facts of what we're looking at. Okay? So, who? Who was writing? To whom was the message originally written? Who are the people involved in the scenario? These are incredibly important question, questions to ask at the beginning of our hermeneutical study or our look at the scriptures to determine what it's saying. Okay? So might we ask, to whom was the message originally written? Was it originally written to Christians? So does it apply directly to me? Was it originally written to the Jews? Does it directly apply to them? Those, those kinds of questions. What? What's happening? What's said? 
Is it a command, an exhortation, a rebuke, a question, an answer, a prayer, a quotation of other scripture, something else? What's the main point? What key words or phrases are used? What's the context? What literary literary style is being used? Is it narrative, conversation, parable, prophecy, poetry, a letter, or a sermon? All those are important questions to ask just to derive at the what part of this, okay? The what part of this. So, if you thought Christianity was easy, yikes. No. Christianity means work. We are workmen needing not to be ashamed, right? As we study the scriptures. Why? Because... Just because we're called to not be ashamed to understand the information that God presents in his word? Or does somewhere in us a desire build up once we recognize that we are doing this to know him? We're doing this to know him. And there's quite a bit of difference. So, as an illustration for married couples, guys, when you got married, were you finished... Knowing your wife, you've got her, you've got the ring on her finger, and you're done getting to know her? Because you, you know all that there is to know about her, right? Like uh, you think you've got a doctorate in your wife at this point just because you got married. But many of us who have been married a long time know that when we got married, we just graduated from preschool as far as knowing our wives. With the scriptures, it's even more important because now we're not just talking about the helpmate that God has given us or the husband for you women that God has given us. We're talking about the God of the universe who spoke and the universe sprang into being. We're talking about the one who created me and sent his son to die so that I could have life with him. When? The third question here. Are there time references? Are there words related to the past, present, or future? Look for words like after, until, then. Or I didn't include this, words like therefore. So you can ask what it's there for, right? Where? Are there locations mentioned? Towns, roads, rivers, mountains, regions, or other landmarks? Why? Are there any clues about why things are being said or done? How? Is there an explanation about how things are done? So who, what, when, where, why, and how? Observational questions that we can derive the facts out of the text that we're reading. Now that's not the end of it though, because facts are not the end of what we're trying to do. We're not just gathering facts. Then comes our interpretation. Our interpretation is designed to Answer the question, what does it mean? Okay, we found out what it says, now we want to know what it means. We need to interpret literally. That means specifically. What did the original author intend? That's the biggest question we need to answer. What did the the original author intend? Interpret grammatically. That means we're still talking about language. It's expressed in language, so we need to interpret grammatically. Obey the laws of grammar and look for the plain sense. Interpret historically. How would the original audience understand it? 
interpret contextually. How does it fit into the surrounding verses and the whole book? Interpret scripturally. Compare scripture with scripture. Now you'll see a sequence, a growing sequence here. Okay, We interpret literally. If we start with a word or a phrase or even a sentence, that sentence says something very plainly. We need to start with that. Okay, We interpret grammatically. We understand the phrase or the sentence grammatically. Okay, now we're stepping. We're we're still stepping within the same sphere. Okay, the same word, phrase, or sentence is our sphere. We interpret historically. To understand how the original audience would understand things, we need to understand some history, uh, some isagogics. We would use the word some history behind what's going on here. So, if we're studying First Corinthians. And we're looking at all the problems that Corinth is having, Corinth Bible Church is having, um, particularly with the immorality, the sexual immorality that's going on there. Would it help us to understand that that was a particular problem in Corinth? I think so. It would help us to understand the things that they are discussing in the particular book of the Bible, in this case, 1 Corinthians. It would help us to understand the things that are being talked about, the people and the problems that they're having, and the overall scope of the letter to understand some background information about, uh, some background historical information about what we're studying. We interpret contextually. How does it fit into the surrounding verses in the whole book? There's your greater sphere. We start with a word, a phrase, or a sentence. Now fit it into maybe if the whole sentence is, is part of a verse. Then how does that verse fit into the paragraph? And yes, there are paragraph Bibles. If, you're, if you've only looked at the NASB, even the NASB can be formatted into paragraph, um, paragraph form. So how do we understand it within that section that we call a paragraph, maybe? Once we're there, how would we understand it in the whole book? Didn't I skip something? Oh, I skipped chapters. That's because chapters are not God-breathed and inspired. Neither are verses. They're a human convention to help us to find things in the scriptures. So if I want to find something in the, the book, the second book that Paul wrote to Timothy, and I want to tell you where it is, then I can very easily say, Second Timothy 2.15, let's go there. Rather than just say, oh, it's in that second book of Timothy somewhere. It's in this particular section, I think. That's a designation that we use, a human convention, to be able to find things easily in the scriptures. But it hurts our hermeneutic if we're swayed by it. If we look at the context as only being chapter 2 of Second Timothy and say, well, the context begins at the beginning of chapter 2. Maybe not. Let's look at where the context, the immediate context actually begins. Where does that section begin? And then go back to the whole scope of that whole book. Look at the whole book. What is the meaning of the whole book? Okay, What is the scope of understanding of the whole book? What is the big picture? And does our thinking about this one verse fit into the scope, the understanding of the whole book? So we have these levels, these spheres of hermeneutical work. The word, the phrase, the sentence, the verse, the paragraph, the book. Okay, the paragraph, the section, and then the book. 
and interpret scripturally, this takes it a step further. That means if I'm looking at the, the book of 2 Timothy, then beyond the scope of 2 Timothy, I might look at 1 Timothy as well. Okay? It's, it's from the same person to the same person. Now, I also would want to go beyond that and look at all the writings of that particular author. So it would help me to understand Paul's vocabulary, the words that he uses in 2 Timothy, if I understand how he might use them elsewhere, okay? how he uses particular phrases. Maybe he, under, he, uh, he uh, explains something elsewhere a little bit better than he explains it in 2 Timothy, but he's using the same vocabulary. These are all helps where we go from, that, from those spheres of hermeneutics, from the, the word, the phrase, the chapter, the, uh, I'm sorry, the word, the phrase, the paragraph, the word, the phrase, the sentence, the paragraph, the, the section, and the book, to the other books that that author has written, and then from there to the entire Bible. Okay? That's, those are the levels, the steps that we take to compare Scripture with Scripture. Application. What do I do with it? What does it say? What does it mean? And what do I do with it? What do I do with it is the application. Does the text have an application for me? And all those those fact-finding questions and all that interpretation are going to bring us or should bring us to a place where we can answer these questions. If it has an application for me, is it a primary or secondary application? That means directly, does it apply to me? Or is it a secondary principle that I can apply, like a wisdom principle that I can apply to my life? How do I make application? What are the steps that I need to take to make this a part of my Christian life? Proper application is built on proper interpretation. We could go back to 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 2 to see this. Proper application is built on proper interpretation. Let me, let me uh, give you an illustration this way. Do you think it's important to God that we worship, worship Him properly? Do you think a correct understanding of who God is as a person affects how we worship Him? Okay. This is where this comes in. Proper application is built on proper interpretation. How I worship God is determined by my understanding of Him. Okay? Finally, submit in humility to the Scriptures. Let's uh, take a look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's go back over that one more time. All Scripture is inspired by God. That means breathed out by God and profitable. Let's stop at that word, profitable. Profit, let's separate the two words, and that will give us a clear understanding. Pastor Bob has done this for us before, and it works wonderfully, I think. It is profit-able. It is able to profit us. But in order for it to profit us, it has to be united with something. Does anybody in this room know what that is? It has to be united with faith. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, 
Now, is, is there anything else beyond faith that needs to be applied here for it to be profitable? You got an answer? What's the answer? <laughs> yes. Tell you? How about humility? How about humility? Humbling ourselves before what God has to say to us is extremely important as well. So all Scripture is inspired by God and able to profit us in the way of teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, we, we get the, the teaching. We might even start to get the reproof, but the correction? Wait a minute, that means I'm wrong. Now seeps in the pride versus the humility. And the believer has to stop and say, you know what? It's okay if I'm wrong. It's okay if I'm wrong, as long as I'm humble to be corrected by God and his word. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that for the purpose that the man of God or woman may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So submit in humility to the scriptures. It was a trick question because the answer was in the notes. Submit in humility to the scriptures. Some practical exercises in hermeneutics. Go over these real quickly. The Bible interprets itself. Now I mentioned that earlier. And the scope of the passages that I picked here, and we're kind of out of time, I don't want to uh, uh, extend this uh, very much farther because I think we can look at these scriptures and the practical exercises on our own at home. We can start to put these things into practice. Yes, sir. My intention was to take at least one of these passages and do that right now, just not all of them, for time's sake. So yes, taking one of these passages and actually walking through it. That's beyond the scope. That's beyond the scope of this type of basic series. That is limited to nine hours. And I think that. That's a good thing for us to be uh, doing, but it's part of the scope of our PMW series, the hermeneutics class that we do with the PMW series, when we would spend several hours uh, learning uh, hermeneutics and actually beginning to apply them and understanding how all of these things work. These are basic principles that the the, uh, new believer could open up their Bibles and begin to read and start to understand for themselves and put these principles into practice, but these are simple principles. And that's one of the things I mentioned. Well, let's talk about it after class. Okay? I agree with you. I think it's a valuable exercise to partake in. And it does, it would take more than five minutes to go through a, um, a, an exercise like this 
and to actually put it into practice in several different passages and uh, work through it. But that's, like I said, that's beyond the scope of this nine-week study. This is giving us introductory principles. So the Bible interprets itself. As I said, these passages that I listed are uh, passages that have to do um, um, with prophecy. And I think these are the easiest to do. And somebody may say, prophecy, that's easy. Yes. Because every single one of these passages, if you start to read the passage, you'll begin to get confused and say, what do all these symbols, what do all these things mean? What's all of this stuff about? And some people will just say, well, let me make some stuff up. Let me, let me uh, identify what these particular symbols mean instead of just continuing to read and you'll get the answer for yourself. Now, one of them that's not, let's, let's actually use Matthew chapter 13 for our example. So let's uh, turn there, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, he who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered and said to you, It has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So if we stop at this point, then we're left wondering what this parable actually means. What do all of these things, all of these types of soil, what's all of this about? And if we don't continue reading, we won't get the Bible's answer to that, that, those questions. We won't get Jesus' own answer to those questions. Rather, if we just keep reading and allow the Scripture to interpret itself, to teach us what it means by these things, we'll do much better. Look at verse 18. Hear the parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some, a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, I think it's obvious there would be more work to do even in the explanation for us. But the explanation that Jesus gives us identifies those particular types of soil and what each problem, what each problem that is presented 
uh, means, what it's all about, okay? This is the principle, one of the biggest principles that we want to apply, is when there is a problem in understanding, keep reading. Don't just assume that you need to figure it out for yourself or that you need to go to a commentary to learn what these things mean. Keep reading. Because even if it's not 5, 10, 15 verses down the page, it may be 5, 10, 15 days down the line that you're reading and you're reading something else and and the Spirit of the Lord is leading you to a particular place to understand something. Okay, We'll discuss more about how the Spirit teaches us, His teaching ministry. But the Spirit is leading us as we're just reading the Word. The Holy Spirit is leading us. So as we're reading these passages, we need patience and we need faith and we need humility before them. The other uh, examples there in Revelation uh, chapter 1, we have an example where Jesus identifies a... um, um, uh, seven stars in his right hand and seven lampstands. And if we stop there, we're left wondering again, what are these seven stars and what are these seven lampstands? We keep reading and Jesus explains and tells us what those seven stars and seven lampstands are. Um, Daniel chapter 2 is another example of the scripture explaining itself, interpreting itself. Jesus and Paul used a literal hermeneutic. We look at Genesis chapter 1 and see the creation of the world. And we see these principles played out. Uh, We see that Genesis has to be interpreted, understood literally, in order for Jesus' words in Matthew 19 and Paul's words in Romans chapter 5 to be understood. Genesis chapter 1, they take literally in order to teach the principles that they're teaching, teaching, and so do we. When the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. If we look at uh, Isaiah chapter 20, um, what we'll see in Isaiah chapter 20, and these, are, these two last passages are kind of funny, um, because Isaiah is naked. And I mean buck naked. It's not a euphemism. It's not as though he was just in his underwear. The scripture says he was naked. What does that mean? He was naked. <laughs> Pretty simple. Ezekiel 4.9 is kind of funny to me. Because there's a process that Ezekiel is told to take. He's told to mix particular uh, grains into a bread and cook it. And he's supposed to eat this bread. What's funny to me is that somebody came up with a product and put it on the shelves in HEB and called it Ezekiel 4-9 bread. And to me, there was no cause in the scripture to think we're supposed to eat that particular type of bread. What's even more funny to me is he supposed to, first God tells him to cook it over human dung. Do you think the makers of Ezekiel 4.9 cooked it over human dung? Then God relents and says, okay, you can cook it over cow dung. You don't have to cook it over human dung. Huh? It could happen. Yeah. But here's a, an example of interpreting and saying, does this apply to me at all? Or is this a, is this a principle? Is this teaching about something going on in the context? Does it have an application to me? Do I need to do this? Okay, We might uh, walk through the book of Leviticus asking ourselves the same question. Do I need to bring a bull for a sacrifice? Is this, are these scriptures written to me? Are these things that I need to practice? Okay. 
For further reading, the, the text that we use for the PMW series or have used in the past is Roland Thomas Schaeffer's uh, Syllabus of Studies in Hermeneutics. I think that Foundations actually does give you some exercises beyond just the principles. Uh, he takes you through some exercises and some practical applications. Um, and Clinton Lockhart would be another place that uh, Roland Thomas Schaeffer got a lot of material from as well. Clinton Lockhart's uh, work on hermeneutics. Any other questions? That can be answered in 30 seconds. Zero. Well, the ones that agree with me certainly make me feel better. Yes. But I will actually read other commentaries that would I know would disagree with me. And you still would derive uh, particular things within those commentaries that are helpful. But again, I think you're speak to the, speaking to the point that our interpretation of Scripture needs to come from the Scripture, not somebody else's interpretation. Yes. Any other questions? Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this class. We thank you for the abundance of students who desire to learn these things. And Father, we pray for the continued uh, um, fruitfulness and profitability of this course, that uh, you would be at work in it to teach me, to teach these students, to help us to understand how to put these things into practice, um, how to begin to uh, teach them to others. And Father, most of all, as we are coming to know you, uh, through these, putting these principles into practice, that we would glorify Jesus Christ in, in all that we do. We thank you in his most precious and holy name. Amen.